our study in 2 Kings, and um, I, I know I say this every week, but it's true. Um, even in my preaching on Sundays, we always find applications from the book of 2 Kings. Well, I'm going to say there's two major practical things that I have always said and always believed. And the book of 2 Kings, particularly with Josiah, confirms it. The first one is the power of the word of God. And that's why in a Bible church, that's why at Grace Bible Church, that's the emphasis on studying the word of God, knowing the word of God, not only from the pulpit, but from Bereans to smaller groups, ladies' groups, men's groups, because the Word of God is living and active and powerful. And the example from Josiah was when they found the law, which had been lost, and read the law, it was a revival, and especially a revival in the leader, the king, Josiah. And so I've always said that if, if there's going to be a revival in our lives or our church or our community, it must start with the powerful teaching and believing the word of God. The second thing that I've said is illustrated in this week, and that is, you know, we don't claim to be perfect uh, either in ourselves or in our church. Now, we are forgiven, okay? I'm not saying that. Praise God, we are forgiven. So the question is, you know, is this a perfect Bible church? I'd like to think it is. I mean, I'm pretty happy with it. But I've always contended that, you know, even if you are trying to get all of the areas covered, and maybe you're missing some of the areas, what gets you on track? The preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. In other words, if there's an area that we're, we, we could improve on, should improve on, if we keep studying the Word, sooner or later we're going to come across those passages that says, hey, you need to push this area a little harder. You need to go a little further in your Christian life. Well, that's exactly what we are going to see here. Not only was there a reform and a revival when the word of God was read, but now they're going to institute, Josiah is going to institute or reinstitute the Passover, which had been unpracticed for over 400 years. And so they were missing an area, but they had the word of God read, the word of God taught, and the word of God corrects us and even fills in those areas that we're missing or that we need in our lives. And so this is entitled, Josiah Reinstituted the Passover. So, the Passover had not been celebrated by any of the kings of the divided kingdom, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, in its history of 400 years. And here is Josiah. He's, 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 uh, he's my man, okay? He's, he's made it to, the, uh, made it to my mighty men of valor list. All right, well, um, what I want to do is I want to... Uh, have you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 23? And we're going to begin with verse 21, and we're only going to cover down to verse 23 because there is a very detailed section in 2 Chronicles chapter 35. But before we begin, let's just bow in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your truths that your word is living and active. It performs the work in us that you sent it to do. And Father, we, we ask that we would be willing and cooperative, Lord. I know that you can even bring a backslidden person back to yourself from the word of God. Imagine what, Father, can be done when someone's heart is totally yours. So Father, we thank you for the word of God. And even in areas that perhaps we're missing or have fallen down on or, or, or need to be changed in our lives, 
It's the preaching of the word that brings us to that, and we'll see that by Josiah tonight. Thank you for this king. Thank you for his example. Teach us tonight, Lord, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so quickly as we are in the habit of doing, not only on Wednesday nights, but also in Sunday mornings, review. I just feel like it's so good to go back and understand either the last passage or the context. Well, here we go. You remember the book of the law had been found and then read. And that was in 2 Kings chapter 22. And it had a profound impact on Josiah who grieved, tore his clothes, repented, and then obeyed. You remember that after that happened, he wanted to find out the Lord's will. He wanted to inquire of the Lord. And what do you do in the, in the Old Testament when you want to inquire of the Lord? You go to a prophet, or in this case, Huldah the prophetess. And we've spoken both on a Wednesday night and on Sunday morning about prophetesses and how that fits in with prophets in 1 Timothy. Well, she gave two prophecies. One was, even though you found the law, even though the law was read, even though there's reform and a revival going on, Judah is still going to be judged. But then there was another prophecy directly to Josiah. But Josiah, because your heart is obedient and you have sought me, you will have mercy as long as you live. Well, then what happened? Well, now you get more excited about the word of God. And now he had everybody hear the word of God. He called everybody from uh, all of the places to hear the word of God. And another reform broke out. And this was a reform in which the king and the people made a covenant. And they, Josiah began this second reform of getting rid of the vessels to the gods and burned them. He broke down the houses of the prostitutes, the cult prostitutes. He defiled these places of false worship like with Malek where they would sacrifice their children to this god. He broke down altars that had been made to foreign gods even by Solomon. He spared the grave of the man of God but did not spare the graves of the false priests. He removed the high places in Samaria. You remember, uh, that's where King Ahab was with Jezebel. And the idolatrous priests were slaughtered. Now that's what I call a reformation. Well, as he did this, one of the things that he discovered in the reading of the word and that he believed that he needed to institute it because God commanded it be done was he began to celebrate the Passover. He reinstituted the Passover. And so that brings us to our text tonight. Josiah celebrated the Passover and there's 21, 22, 23, three verses there. But then we're going to go to Second Chronicles and see exactly what he did in detail. In fact, it's said that he was more correct in following the law for the Passover than for some of the other kings. And then I want to take a moment at the end of this and look at some of the symbols of Christ in the Passover, maybe a little bit of the Seder, the meal, the Passover meal, and we'll conclude with that. All right, so look at verse 21. 2 Kings chapter 23, beginning in verse 21. It says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. So what's interesting of this is he learned of the Passover. He realized they weren't doing the Passover. And because he wanted to obey the law, he commanded everyone to do this. Now, who was he 
to command. Well, he was the king of Israel, who is a, or supposed to be, a spiritual leader, but he was more or less just repeating what God had said when God commanded to do the Passover for Israel. Now, he conformed to the law uh, so closely. Um, we do know that Hezekiah, he tried to revive the Passover, but even he didn't go all the way that Josiah did in conforming to it. Now, I want to talk a moment about the feasts. And I want to talk about the feasts of Israel just for a moment. And, and you can see them there. There are seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There are other festivals and feasts that they do, but these are the big ones. And the big three, there's three big ones in reference to all of the males had to go. So even if you didn't live in Jerusalem, but you lived outside of Jerusalem, you didn't have to come for every one of them, but there were three of them that you had to come to. And one of them was the Passover, which Josiah instituted that in getting the people to come from, from all over. The second one is the Feast of Weeks or the Shavat or Pentecost. We've heard of Pentecost. That's the day that the Holy Spirit came. He came on the day of Pentecost. So they had to come to that one. And then the third one is Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. That was another one when, when all of the males had to go. Uh, yes, the females could go, but it, again, here's this male leadership. Here's God expressing what we've said in 1 Timothy, that he created Adam first. Therefore, Adam is to be the spiritual leader. Now, what is the Passover? Well, let's just look at it in a very general sense. <coughs> the Passover, the first Passover, if you remember, was when God spared Israel's firstborn from the destroyer who passed over the Jewish homes with the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. So we all know about the, the plagues in, in, uh, in Scripture, the plagues in uh, the time of Moses with Pharaoh and the ten plagues. And the tenth plague was this one here, was the plague was all the firstborn will die unless they have blood of the lamb, of the sacrifice on the doorpost. And by the way, what a beautiful picture of salvation. What a beautiful picture is how do I know if I'm saved? Well, have you trusted Christ? If you've trusted Christ, then the blood of Christ has been put on the doorpost of your heart. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the Passover then was when they were in Egypt and they were in bondage and God was bringing these plagues upon Egypt to deliver the children of God and this final one was the one that broke the camel's back. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then God said, I want you to continue to do this. This is going to be a memorial for you. And it's going to come up annually. You're going to do it annually. And all of these feasts were, were part of the annual feast. And the, one of the main reasons of the Passover was for they would remember God's deliverance. They were in bondage in Egypt. And God brought salvation and deliverance to them. Now, it is interesting that when you talk about the Passover... You usually talk about the unleavened bread. Excuse me one second here. <coughs> I don't have a cough, but I know everybody else does. So I'm just doing that to make you feel right at home. The unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread, is really tied in with the Passover. So the Passover is on one day, and then the very next day begins 
the feast of unleavened bread, and it goes for seven days. And as the Passover was the deliverance of the children of Israel, the unleavened bread, and of course there are a number of symbols that you can, um, you can put to this, but the, the reason for the unleavened bread was that they would remember on their exodus out of Egypt. And of course they had to go in a hurry, so don't put leaven in the bread, it'll spoil, so it had to be unleavened bread. And of course, they will, Jewish people will celebrate these uh, today. And they have a Passover meal. They don't sacrifice. Um, they, they don't sacrifice anymore. Uh, but they, they do the Passover meal, and that's called the Seder. And probably many of you have been to one of these where uh, a Jewish uh, believer uh, from one of the Christian Jewish ministries will come and they will put on this meal and, um, and, and you will get to eat it. And the symbolism is not only what happened to the Jewish people, but also with the Christ. So that's what's going on here. Now, <clears throat> let's look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, Surely such a Passover had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and of the kings of Judah. So that, that boils down to about 400 years, the time of Samuel. In fact, it'll say that in Second Chronicles. And again, so Hezekiah tried to institute it, and he did, but notice Surely such a Passover, such a Passover as this had not been celebrated from the days of Judges. And then if you notice, it says in verse 23, But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, What's special about the 18th year is it's also the 18th year that the law was found and read. So all this is going on in the 18th year because the word of God had been found and had been read and had been taught. And so this is, again, I mean, they, they, I just love this because this is what we're about here and why we're about it. Now, it's at this point I'd like you to turning your Bibles to 2 Chronicles. That's all that is said about the Passover. And, you know, the writer, the author, was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I would have to say the Holy Spirit did not direct the author of 2 Kings to write this all in detail, but did instruct the author of 2 Chronicles. And we see that swap from time to time. Well, that's exactly what we have here. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, we really want to look at verses 2 through 19. And that's what we're going to be in the majority of uh, this passage tonight. We'll go back to verse 1. 2 Chronicles 35, 1. It says, then Josiah celebrated the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover animals on the 14th day of the first month. He's doing it right. That's the date that it's supposed to be celebrated on. You know, all of these, uh, all of these feasts here, um, they all have particular dates, and they're annuals, uh, and especially like the Day of Atonement. When the Day of Atonement comes, that's when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, brought in the, the blood that was for the sins of himself and all the people of Israel. And it was put on the Ark of the Covenant where it was met by God who was holy. So all of these have particular days. By the way, by the way, right now, Hanukkah is going on. So now that's not mentioned here. 
That's not mentioned in one of these. That's one of the ones that was devised a little later. But um, we, we see some of these things. And, and I do like to see that. I do like to see that on a calendar. I like to know when it's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Not that I do anything about it uh, because I have Christ who is our high priest. But I, I, I like to follow that. All right, so this has been given more detail here in 2 Chronicles 35. Now, notice it says in verse 1 that they slaughtered the Passover animals. So that, that had to be a preparation, and they had to get a whole bunch of animals to do that. And there was the animals were uh, sacrificed for the priests themselves and then also for the people. And then... After they sacrificed, they, they ate the Passover meal because that's what they did on the very first Passover. So they had the lamb slaughtered um, and then the blood was placed on the doorpost and then they would have this Passover meal to always remember this and they would teach that from generation to generation. So this is, this is what we have here and... and and uh, when you figure if there's a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of sacrifices. And what's amazing is th they came up with all of the sacrificial animals. I mean, they had plenty. Now look at verse 2. It says, He set the priests in their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. So what Josiah does now is he's instructing or encouraging strongly these priests and the Levites what to do. You would think at that point that, that the priests, the high priests or the chief priests would be able to do that. And maybe they were a part of it, but so was Josiah. And, and, you, and you see, again, what a good spiritual leader. He doesn't really sit back to say, well, gee, I wonder if I should do this. He's already doing it. You know, there's three kinds of spiritual leaders. Uh, the ones that make things happen, the others that watch things happen, and then the other spiritual leaders that says, what happened? Make sure we're of the kind that's like Josiah. But he's instructing them of what they should do, what, what their office was about. And of course, I believe this would be particularly with the Passover, since it hadn't been done in over 400 years. So, so he went over all the details, and I'm sure that there were other responsibilities that they had. But it says, and encourage them in the service of the house of the Lord. So he's putting it all together. And we're going to go all the way down to verse 19 of him putting it all together. Now, the first order of business is found in verse it says, he also said to the Levites who taught all Israel and her were, who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. It will be a burden on your shoulders no longer. Now serve the Lord your God and his people. Well, there's a couple of things going on there. And first of all, it says the Levites who taught all Israel. So this means that when the law was found and the law was read, the law was also taught that the Levites were to go out and teach the word of God. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're all supposed to do that, but that's what we do as spiritual leaders. If you're a spiritual leader in the church, that's what you do. You, you teach, you lead with the word of God. If you're a spiritual leader in your home, that's what you do. And I, I know that you can't always do that. I know that life is busy, but you're always trying to do it as much as you can. You're not, you're not letting that fall down. Well, not only did they teach, but then he says, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. That's the temple that had been standing there for quite some time, close to 400 years or more, a little more. And where was the Ark of the Covenant? What happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Well, it doesn't give us an explanation. It's just that it wasn't there. They know where it was, and they said, we need to put this back. 
Some have suspected that Manasseh was the one who took it out of the house of the Lord. And knowing Manasseh and how bad he was, that's probably not a bad guess. You remember he moved in the altars to these other false gods into the temple. Into the temple. But what's so sad again, the emotion here is that here's Jerusalem where the temple was built, where the presence of God would be. His presence would come over the Ark of the Covenant and it was nowhere to be found near the temple. So first order of business, he has it right. Josiah is telling them to get it back in. This is before they start to do the Passover. And then he, he says, put the Holy Ark in the house. Um, it will be a burden on your shoulders no longer. Now, it had to be a burden on their shoulders because that's the only way you're allowed to carry it. With the poles and the rings, that's the only way that was prescribed in the law to carry it. You remember what happened when they didn't carry it that way and they put it on a wagon and it almost fell and Uzzah, you know, you almost can't blame him, but he reached over to catch it and he touched the Ark of the Covenant and he dropped dead. Why? Is God a mean God? No, but he's a holy God. And fear came upon all the people, including and especially David. David realized what he had done wrong. Well, here's Josiah. He's doing it right. This kid learned. This, this, this kid, you know, paid attention when he came to church and he was in Sunday school. And then when he got old enough to sit in the service, he paid attention. He, I know he was handed notes, but he took further notes. He underlined, and he went home and he looked these things up. He really gave himself to it, and he is instructing them according to the law. This is what the law did. This is what the word of God did for Josiah and the people at this time. And I'm so glad that both Kings and Second Chronicles spends extra time talking about Josiah. You know, we did spend a lot of time talking about Ahab and Jezebel. And so we need this, don't we? We need this uh, encouragement from one of the great kings. But don't get your hopes up too much because <laughs> we have four more kings to go. And uh, it's going to go downhill after Josiah. Sorry, spoiler alert, I should have announced it. All right. Now, we come to verse 4 then. After he, he's instructing the priests, he's instructing the Levites, he's telling them to carry the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, into the temple. He instructs them how to do it. And now he continues on with further preparation. And, and this is the detail that he does and is very careful to do because it's from the law. Verse 4 says, Prepare yourselves by your father's households in your divisions, according to the writing of David, king of Israel, and according to the writing of his son Solomon. <coughs> Excuse me. So, in other words... As everyone is brought to Jerusalem for the Passover and there's a lot of people, what do you do? It can be quite confusing. Well, the law instructs and Josiah follows this to set everyone in according to their tribes, in accordance with their father's household. And then the priests are going to minister to them because the priests and the Levites are assigned to certain clans and tribes of Israel. So very, very uh, organized. Um, very, very, and again, it's not Josiah's organization. He's just following the word of God. Uh, and isn't that good? It says, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on, on your own understanding. So I may not understand how it all works, but I do understand what he's telling me to do. And if I do what he's telling me to do, even though I don't understand how it works, that's fine. He knows how it works. And don't lean on your own understanding. Just trust in the Lord. What a great, what a great principle for us in our, our Christian lives. So he makes these divisions um, uh, according to the clans and 
And this is so that they can be ministered to. You know, I, I just thought in a way, um, so we've kind of done something like that. Uh, as elders, we have, um, we have certain areas that each elder is over. And then the people that are involved in those ministries, uh, the elder is over that area. Um, we, we have certain things that we, uh, we pray for individuals. Um, we have a list of individuals that we get. And as elders, it's like, okay, you get this group for this month. So one way or another, you need to contact them. You need to pray, uh, pray for them. You need to talk to them. And, and it can be just a church. And, and so that's one of the things that we do. But uh, if we need be, if we hadn't seen them for a while, maybe we need to give them a call. So praise the Lord that there's a little bit of administration here at Grace Bible Church too. Well, verses 5 and 6 is going to talk about the business at hand, the Passover, the Passover lamb, the sacrifice of all of these lambs. And this is what we see in verses 5 and 6. <coughs> Sorry. Moreover, stand in the holy place according to the sections of the father's households of your brethren, the lay people, and according to the Levites by division of a father's household. So they're, they're all getting placed to a particular group so that they can minister to a particular group, so they can do these sacrifices. Verse 6 says, Now slaughter the Passover animals. Sanctify yourselves and prepare for your brethren to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Now, what we're seeing here is Again, not only according to the word of God, we're going to take a look at Exodus here in just a moment, but we're seeing here uh, they're getting ready to minister. This is going to be the Passover. This is going to be the uh, slaughtering of the sacrificial animal and the blood, so to speak, will be over the Passover. Of course, they didn't put blood over the uh, doorposts after the initial one that I that I know of anyway, but we as believers we put the blood over the door of our hearts when we receive Christ. So let's look at this first of all, verse five. So the priests were to stand in the holy place. So they were part of the temple, uh, and, and they were going to be part of the sacrificing, part of the sprinkling of the blood part of the skinning the animals, part of offering some of these uh, sacrifices to the Lord and then offering uh, the, it to the priest and then the Levites and then also to the lay people, the Passover meal. That's what's being done. And as we see this, uh, look at verse uh, 6. He says, sanctify yourselves. So in other words... When, when these sacrifices are done, they're done, first of all, for the priest. And that's interesting because that's what's done on the day of Yom Kippur. Day of Yom Kippur, before the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies, he has to be holy, not in and of himself, but from the sacrifice. And so that's the first thing that's done. And then he can make sacrifices and apply the blood to the Ark of the Covenant for the people. Uh, now, if he did anything wrong while he was in there, he would die just like Uzzah. The problem would be, well, how do you go in and get him when only the high priest is allowed in the Holy of Holies? Well, they had some sort of rope apparatus that was to his robe and stuck out because they weren't going in to get him if he did something wrong, and they would just, you know, they would hoist him out. Well, that we, we see a similar thing here, that that's what the priest was to do. And, and if I could talk about spiritual leaders for just a moment, you can't just pick up the Bible and start telling your family what to do. Your first order of business is your own relationship with the Lord. Many things are caught better than they are taught. 
really they should be caught by example and taught. So this is the first order of business before you can even begin to deal with your family. And that's what it says. It says, you know, take the, take the splinter out of your brother's eye before you take the beam out of your own eye. So this is, that's a really a spiritual principle. And, and the truth of the matter is, let's say someone comes to you for counseling and you're not quite sure what to say. Well, has the Lord ever worked in your life in the particular area that they've come to you about? And very possible he did. And I think the Lord puts us through trials so that we learn so that when someone comes to us, we can share with them the same advice. And by the way, one of the things that that does is it eliminates pride. Well, you've got these problems, but I don't, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I guess you just got to get holy. That's wrong. But when you struggle with things, and then you have victory over those, and someone shares, that's the right attitude. That's a humble attitude. Well, let me, let me share with you how, you know, I was to be more loving or how I was to be more patient when I was impatient or any of the things that the Lord is working in your life to conform you to the image of Christ. So that, that is another great principle for leadership. And then after they sanctify themselves, this is when they start preparing the same thing for the brethren, the lay people. And they're doing this according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Well, we're not finished talking about Josiah. You just have to appreciate him. Look, if you would, at verse 7. He is not someone, a leader, who's just going to stand by and let y'all do the work. He is going to roll up his sleeves from time to time, and this is one of them. It says, Josiah contributed to the lay people, to all who were present, flocks of lambs and young goats, all for the Passover offerings, numbering 30,000 plus 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions. Wow. I, I mean, when you see that happening, imagine the people of Israel. They are saying, this king is serious about serving the Lord. This king is serious about us serving the Lord. Um, you know, put your, put your money where your mouth is type of thing. And that's what he did. You know, it tells us in the book of Proverbs to honor the Lord with our wealth and the first fruits of our increase. I believe that there is an invisible nerve that goes from your wallet to your heart in service for the Lord. And you honor the Lord with your wealth because he gave you the wealth. And he's not even asking for all of it back. He's just asking for a portion back. And we see Josiah certainly doing that. And he's contributing to the people. He didn't really put himself above and say, I'm royalty. I've got enough to, to sacrifice for myself, and you all have to figure something else out. It wasn't like that at all. And we find out then that it has an impact. Of course it does. You, the word of God has been found. The word of God has been read. The word of God has been taught. And the example of obedience is being seen. Remember what Paul said in Philippians? He said, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And then he says, and the God of peace will be with you. So I, I think we have this. And look at verse 8. The example is followed. You, you want to teach people? Then, then show them your example. Oh, Father, help us to be examples. His officers also contributed a free will offering to the people, the priests and the Levites, Hilkiah and Zechariah and Jehiel, the officials of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offerings 2,600 from the flocks 
and 300 bulls. So now they're a part of it. Um, but it goes even a little further than that. Look, if you will, to verse 9. Kananiah also, and Shemaiah, and Nathanel, his brothers, and Hashabiah, and Jael, and Jazabad, the officers of the Levites, contributed to the Levites for the Passover offering 5,000 from the flocks and 500 bulls. So we see more people doing this, and we, we, uh, we're, we're going to even see that this sounds like even the least, the, the Levites are a part of this as well. So th this is what is needed for the Passover. And first of all, he got the Ark of the Covenant. And now he's got the people in their tribes. And now he is indeed getting ready for the Passover slaughter. Verse 10. So the service was prepared. And the priests stood at their stations, and the Levites by their divisions, according to the king's command. So it's about to begin. Everybody's ready. Every animal is ready. And this is about to begin. Josiah, you're doing it right. And then verse 11, it begins. They slaughtered the Passover animals. So not all of those animals were Passover animals. Some of those are going to be uh, given to the people. But they slaughtered the Passover animals while the priest sprinkled the blood received from their hand and the Levites skinned them. So this was an operation going on. Um, you know... Uh, I'm not saying it was a butcher shop, okay? That is what comes to mind. You, you think of uh, shooting a deer and you're, you have that and your whole family's helping you and you have this. But I will say, let's understand that when we're talking about these sacrifices, it was a bloody ordeal. It was a bloody ordeal. Animals were killed. Animals were gutted. Animals were cut up. Animals were skinned, and thousands of them. Why? Why do we have such a bloody religion? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Now, what's interesting is in the Old Testament, these sacrifices did not remove sin. They merely temporarily covered it that's why the high priest had to do it year after year and if you go to the book of hebrews you get that impression in the writing and and the high priest had to do it year after year after year because they only temporarily covered sin but when christ came along john the baptist said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world he takes away the sin. He removes sin. He expiates the sin. This is what Christ's blood is about. And again, you can see now that the Passover really does have a lot of symbolism, symbolism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, these things are mere shadows of the reality that happened with Christ. But this is what's going to happen. And of course, this is part of their Passover uh, festival hadn't been done for 400 years. Well, they 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 killed the animals. They 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 slaughtered the animals. And and for a moment, just turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12. Now, this is when the first Passover was instituted, and again, it was so that Pharaoh would let. God's people go. He would not, but he would after this. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, 
they are each to ta- each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households sound familiar a lamb for each household now if the household is too small for a lamb then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them according to what each man should eat you are to divide the lamb and so not only is it the sacrifice and the blood but it's the passover meal your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old you may take it from the sheep or from the goats but notice the unblemished and of course you're probably thinking to yourselves about the lord jesus christ who was sinless this is a picture in fact this whole institution by god was to point to christ and because josiah was being very careful with each of these not because he was legalistic but because this is the picture that was pointing to christ and god loves what the lord jesus christ did he sent the lord jesus christ Um, The father loves the son and the son loves the father. And so this isn't just about you're obeying my law, but you're also showing a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Josiah was paying attention. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw, or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire. It has to have and be a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. And that's what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ. Both its head and its legs along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning. But whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Well, I'm going to let it go there. But this is the first Passover, and that's exactly what happened. The destroyer, the Lord, most likely the angel of the Lord, came through, and wherever there was no blood on the doorpost, Wherever there was a firstborn in the house, that firstborn would die, including the Pharaoh's son. But not the children of Israel, not their firstborn, because they applied the blood. All right, let's go back to 2 Chronicles. Verse 12, then they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the sections of the father's households of the lay people to present to the Lord. As it is written in the book of Moses, they did this also with the bulls. Now, I think the author of Second Chronicles is enjoying this. Because the constant phrase is, as it is written in the book of Moses. And he's looking at what Josiah did. And he's going, yep, yep. He did it according to the law. He did it just the way he was supposed to have done it. And there's going to be part that the people are going to eat. The priests are going to eat. The Levites are going to eat. But the first portion is given to the Lord. A fragrant aroma an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. And this is what is done. It says that they did also 
with the bulls. Verse 13. Oh, by the way, somebody writes, the statement that they set aside the burnt offerings suggests that the Levites saved certain choice parts of the Passover lambs to offer to the Lord. So uh, you get that in, in this, this uh, idea and in the verbiage here. Verse 13, so they roasted the Passover animals on the fire according to the ordinance and they boiled the holy things in the pots and kettles and pans and carried them speedily to all the people. So here's where this is starting to be distributed. The burnt offerings, those sheep and goats not intended for use in the Passover were distributed along with the cattle to the people. So there was for food and anything left over uh, is believed that they gave to the people. Very generous of Josiah to be involved in that. All right, verse 14. Afterwards, they prepared for themselves and for the priests because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were offering the burnt offerings and the fat until night. Therefore, the Levites prepared for themselves and for the priests, the sons of Aaron. So there was something to eat for them. This Passover was a big deal, and it went on and on and on. Look at verse 15. Nobody was forgotten. The singers, the sons of Asaph, were also at their stations, according to the command of David, Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun, the king's seer, and the gatekeepers. So even the gatekeepers at each gate did not have to depart from the service because the Levites, their brethren, prepared for them. Can I make another leadership application? So one of the leadership applications is, is that we are to model Christ when we minister. Christ came as a servant. Ministry is about serving. Ministry is not lording over, but ministry is about ministering, serving the Lord. And, and, and how is it that you're serving them? What is the goal of that service? It is to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. It's the, it's the same thing over and over and over. That's what it is, and it continues. And, of course, we can't forget we have to make sure that we grow ourselves. Verse 16, so all the service of the Lord was prepared on that day to celebrate the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. So he's putting this all together. And again, it all started when the word of God was found, the word of God was read, the word of God was taught, and the word of God was obeyed. That is, that's what we do here at Grace Bible Church. Verse 17. <clears throat> it says, Thus the sons of Israel who were present celebrated the Passover at this time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. So that starts the next day and it goes for seven days. And you can't eat any bread with leaven in it. There's a number of pictures that we get from unleavened bread. Um, leaven reminds us of sin. And a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven, causes the whole dough to be affected. And so, in one sense, it's a holy life. But also the big picture, I do believe, what we said in the very beginning, it it, it's representative of the exodus out of Egypt with all of the hardships that they're about to face. They had to have unleavened bread because they had to go in a hurry. And so this is a memorial and a reminder of that. <clears throat> Verse 18, there had not been celebrated a Passover like it in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. So that would have been during the time of David for sure. But beyond that, it was not. Nor had any of the kings of Israel 
celebrated such a Passover as Josiah did with the priests, the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So talk about a reform. This is a reform that had been lacking for 400 years. And this young man was putting it into practice. Um, again, we see the mention of the 18th year. Look at verse 19. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, this Passover was celebrated. So what we see is this is the time when the law was found and there were these reforms, reform in spirituality and reform in practice, both in doctrine and in duty. Well, with just the little remaining time that we have, I want to talk about some of the symbols of Christ in the Passover, uh, even the Seder uh, when that is done. Um, but if you, if you will, um, look at some of these. The first one is Jesus was the lamb of God in verse 13 of Exodus 12, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And of course, where did they get the blood from? They got it from the lambs. And the New Testament passage that I just absolutely love is the one I already mentioned, John 1.29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he takes it away where the, the Old Testament lambs and sacrifices merely covered temporarily, merely covered temporarily. Jesus was without sin. And as we read in Exodus 12, 5, the lamb had to be unblemished, an unblemished male. He couldn't have a crooked leg or there couldn't be something wrong with him at all. Why? What is this suggesting? This is suggesting, number one, that the Lord Jesus Christ was perfect without sin. If Christ sinned, he couldn't have been our Savior. He couldn't have been our sacrifice. He couldn't have died on our behalf. Um, but he was. We, we find out in Hebrews, it says he was tempted like we were, yet without sin. And of course, Second Corinthians says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we see the, the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, no sin, and he died for us. Now, what we also see in there is he died for the sins of the world. We just talked about that in our First Timothy uh, on Sundays. Um, what's interesting is it says, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. So this is the idea that Christ died for the entire world, the sins of the world. However, the entire world will not and has not availed itself of that redemption, uh, that, that atonement. But this is why when you're witnessing and you're talking to someone, you can say, but if you, if you receive Christ as your Savior, if you trust him, he died for your sins. It will be applied to the doorpost of your heart if you trust him by faith. Some of the others, as we're winding down, <clears throat> Jesus' bones were not broken. In Exodus 12, um, it says that you are not to break any bone of the sacrifice. Why? Because it was going to be a picture of Christ. John 19, 33. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. In other words, on the cross, uh, the cross is terrible. The cross does... Um, 
it, it, it doesn't kill you immediately. It takes you at the brink of death and will not let you die. And part of the reason is, is you're slumped down and you cannot breathe and you're asphyxiating. But what you do because of your survival, you push yourself up on those nails and you pull yourself up on those nails piercing your hands and your feet to catch your next breath. And then when you can't take the pain anymore, you slump down and it keeps going like that. Well, the thieves weren't dead, so they broke their legs so they couldn't pull themselves up. But Christ had voluntarily given up his spirit, and so he did not need to have his legs broken so that he would die. We see the death and the burial. Uh, we, we see that with the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread talking about the hardship in the wilderness and we, we see the death, and then we see the burial. There will be other things that talk about his resurrection, but in the Passover, it is about the death. He is the bread of life. This bread, though unleavened, is given to everyone during the Seder, and it was Jesus who proclaimed, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. He is the bread of life. And thinking of the bread of life, we're thinking of the Lord's table. And um, it, this is remembered. How about when Jesus said, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, this is the Apostle Paul, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, it doesn't mean that his body was broken, but it means that he was voluntarily giving himself for us in our place. And that's what we think of when we think of the Lord's table. We also think about the blood in the Lord's table. Does it not say, and the same way he took the cup also after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And in Jeremiah 31, 31, that great chapter, even after he told Judah, you're done, you're going. But then God said, but I will bring you back. I will bring you into the new covenant, not a covenant like Moses's covenant when it was conditional, but this one is conditioned on me and me alone. And here's Christ shedding his blood for that new covenant. And of course, even thirsting. Uh, Exodus 12 says, you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood, which is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. Well, hyssop was also what was given to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, while he was on the cross, a jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a, a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. And at first he did not take it, but at the very end he took it. Why? To relieve any kind of pain? No. So that he could cry out, it is finished. Our salvation has been paid for. And he gave up his spirit and he died. So what a beautiful picture. Um, just quickly here, looking at, um, hopefully you can see it. I'm pretty sure you can't see it on your notes. Uh, even though there is a chart there, um, the seven feasts of the Lord. Notice how they do that, and they break it up, and it really fits. Um, the spring feast fulfilled Jesus' first coming. Passover was the crucifixion of Christ. Unleavened bread, the burial of Christ. The first fruits, the resurrection of Christ. And Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. The autumn or fall feasts, they 
are, I believe, in reference to the second coming. When you have the feast of trumpets, you're thinking of the trumpet that's blown at the rapture. And then you have the atonement, the day of atonement, when he wipes away sin. This is a reference, many believe, to the second coming of Christ when he destroys the enemies, brings Israel back to himself. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles, when they actually had to go into these little uh, man-made shelters. Well, this is re in reference to the kingdom age when Christ, Emmanuel, is among men, dwelling among men in the millennial kingdom. Joe, any thoughts or comments of any of this?